everyone, my name is Ari and welcome to Made of Metal, a motivational podcast where we tell stories about regular people overcoming insurmountable odds. So hello again, everyone. Thank you so, so much for tuning in for another session of Shenanigans with your favorite smiley storyteller, of course. We finished off another incredible Black History Month with some really insanely awesome African-American icons. I can't stress these stories enough. I mean, the absolute importance of learning the history of African-Americans in this country cannot be understated. And I was hopefully able to help you guys gain some really valuable insights, some really cool stories. And now, much to my delight, we're powering through to yet another often overlooked and greatly oppressed group in history that contributed to the success of this country in a major, major way. So in honor of the very wonderful and hopefully wild (laughs) Women's History Month, I'm going to exclusively feature the stories of fierce femmes fighting the system and kicking ass in a major way. You guys know I love that. Oh, and just a friendly reminder as well, if you're loving the show and want to support the shenanigans, please leave a review or rating wherever you listen to your podcasts. Thank you so much in advance. Now, the woman we'll be learning about this week is definitely a fascination of mine, and I've known about her for quite a while as her home is a local historic landmark that you can tour in the area, which I have on more than one occasion. (laughs) Yes, I am that girl that loves touring historical sites and homes. So, so fun and also sometimes creepy. The best of both worlds, the intersection of my two favorite things. When I toured this individual's home, the tour guide pointed out all the ways in which the home had been specifically built and modified to fit the philanthropic needs of the previous owner, pretty much. And the owner... I mean, truly an angel on earth, dedicated all their help, resources, and time exclusively to the betterment of others. All the while dealing with their own obstacles due to the societal and sexist limitations imposed on a woman in that day and age. And this woman, I mean, an absolute powerhouse with extraordinary intelligence and the drive to go to the most dangerous places to help the people who needed it the most. And me personally, coming from a household with a toxic mother, narcissistic mother, I've always gravitated towards women who love to help others as they became my role models and guides in developing my own empathy towards others. But a lot of these women showed me that I'm not alone and that the innate need to help others is just sort of ingrained in my being, and that people who choose to help others in spite of the circumstances, even the detriment of themselves, are the best people. So as you can see, I'm super pumped to share the story with you because I've gone to this home so many times. I love her story. I feel like it's just not as well known as it should be. So let's get right into it. This week, we'll be covering The Helper, the Herald, the Healer, Clarissa Harlow Barton, or by her more recognizable moniker, Clara Barton. Clara Barton was born on December 25th, 1821, Christmas Day, the first indication that she was an actual gift to the world. 
in North Oxford, Massachusetts. Clara was the youngest of five siblings born to her parents, Stephen and Sarah. Her father was a prominent local politician and a military man, as well as a diligent farmer who inspired Clara to admire her country, its veterans, and the fruits of hard work. Clara's mother helped to maintain the home and focused on raising and teaching her children. Clara would have a unique childhood in regards to her educational history, which began as early as three years old. Initially going to her formal school with her siblings during her early years, Clara showed an aptitude for learning that wasn't often recognized in girls her age, or in girls, period. (laughs) While Clara was intelligent and skilled in academics, she wasn't as comfortable or experienced with the social aspects of school. Clara was described as painfully shy and appeared to struggle with the basics of connecting with her peers. This was a trait that carried all the way up into her teenage years, in which her parents attempted to send her away to school to encourage her to learn how to socialize. Sending Clara away from home, I mean, an epic failure, as she was almost completely stricken with depression while at school, which resulted in her parents quickly withdrawing her and continuing her education at home. And firstly, as me, I was a painfully shy child in the same exact way, like socializing and being friendly just didn't come natural to me. So I can totally relate to the act of shutting down, especially when you're forced into a social situation. Going to a school that's away from home and your home is like your sanctuary, your only stable comfort zone, that would only exacerbate the situation. So her behavior in that sense just makes total sense to me. While Clara was gifted with academics, she was also an experienced caregiver from her early childhood. Clara gained this valuable experience when her brother fell from the roof of a barn and suffered devastating injuries. Clara was tasked with nursing and caring for her brother, which included tasks like administering medicine and other remedies to hasten along his recovery. Although doctors had already written off her brother as a lost cause, Clara would not give up, and lo and behold, her brother would make a full recovery. A great little lesson on trusting yourself over the naysayers, by the way. Clara would also be called to care for a family member due to an unexpected death in the family, in which she worked hard to help her relatives get back on their feet taking pride and purpose from using her skills to help others. And this was very early on when she was just a teenager. At her parents' urging, Clara would put her intelligence on the forefront and apply to her position as a school teacher. In 1839, Clara would receive her official teacher certificate at the age of just 17, and she became a full-time teacher for more than a decade. Her ability to connect and motivate children was unmatched, and in the areas that other teachers floundered, Clara seemed to thrive, especially in corralling the most disruptive of the boys with ease, drawing on her childhood experiences of spending time with her male cousins. While teaching, Clara would go on to advance her education by taking additional classes geared towards sharpening her writing and reading skills. After teaching for about 12 years, Clara made a name for herself and was contacted specifically to assist with opening a school in a neighboring town. In 
1852, Clara would open the first free school in New Jersey in an area called Bordentown. The school was so successful that Clara had to hire another woman to assist her with teaching all the new students, and they were able to raise funding for additional school buildings. In spite of Clara's smashing success, she was removed as the head of the school in favor of a man, again due to the horrible sexism at the time. A woman wasn't able to be in a leadership position, regardless of how qualified they were. Not allowing this setback to slow her stride, Clara set her sights on Washington, D.C., and in 1855, she moved there to start a position as a clerk with the U.S. Patent Office. Which, by the way, Clara was the first to receive such a position and was paid at the same rate as the men in her position, which was completely unheard of at the time. I'm loving how Clara is coming right out the gate, challenging all the generally accepted stereotypes, going for the jobs that are historically only given to men, not even acknowledging the barriers. I mean, you go, girl. Sadly, once again, Due to the sexism of the time, Clara was removed from her position at the patent office. But this time, she was summarily demoted to a copyist because women weren't able to work in her position in federal offices. Furthermore, Clara supported the anti-slavery movement, which was a controversial stance at the time. Once her colleagues caught wind of her support, Clara was let go from her position within the government due to her, and I quote, Black Republicanism. And just as a reminder, Republicans at the time were in favor of abolishing slavery and awarding rights to the formerly enslaved, which were pretty radical views for a white woman at the time. On April 19th, 1861, while Clara was trying to make her way as a woman in government in D.C., she would become directly involved in wartime relief efforts by helping wounded soldiers involved in the Baltimore riot. This was one of the first events to trigger the start of the Civil War. When Clara got wind that the wounded soldiers from the battle would be taken to the Capitol, she rushed over without hesitation. At the Capitol, many men were in need of medical attention, and Clara tried to see them all, bringing more supplies and resources for them as necessary, supporting them in more ways than just medical. Clara would provide much needed moral support to the wounded soldiers. It's not just medical care, it's mental and emotional support, helping them to write letters to their family and laughing with them to keep their spirits high. So needed. From here on out, Clara would pivot from government admin work to providing direct assistance to Union soldiers, from storing supplies to helping them put together care packages to providing food and clothes. And after a few months of providing the support off the field, Clara would eventually make her way to the front lines. Clara also organized essential public fundraising, collecting the overwhelming donations and storing them all in her home when they ran out of space. Anything that was needed, Clara would provide, from making food to cleaning to providing much-needed medical care during several harrowing Civil War battles. 
Claire even knew how to improvise, as she reportedly used corn husks in place of bandages when they ran out during a particularly bloody fight. Now, just imagine how bad that is. I mean, like you're scrambling, you don't even have any bandages, and you have to make do with corn husks. Like, what? Eventually, Clara was given an official title within the Union Army, and she became legendary amongst the ranks. The soldiers gave her the nickname, the Angel of the Battlefield. So this wasn't like a public nickname. This was given to her by the soldiers she actually worked with. Clara's legacy of service to the soldiers did not end after the war was over either. Oh, no. With the end of the war came an entirely new set of problems, such as families searching for their lost sons and soldiers who were missing in battle, but not yet confirmed dead. After realizing the enormity of the task, Clara reached out to President Lincoln to establish the Office of the Missing Soldiers. President Lincoln granted her request, and Clara would assist with connecting hundreds of thousands of families with the much-appreciated missing soldier information. Clara would spend over four years working exclusively in the capacity of helping to locate missing soldiers— assisting with having over 20,000 soldiers who were previously unidentified return to their families for proper burials. Clara was also vocal all throughout the war, sharing what she saw in the horrible treatment of women. And of course, you guys knew I had to mention this crazy timeline cross. Like, what? It's just so incredible when you actually like are doing the history and you realize all these people existed in the same point in time, because you just feel like they're so far apart. I guess when you're learning about them, their stories are just so different. But no, they all knew each other. (laughs) It was a small world, still a small world that does not change. Claire would meet Susan B. Anthony, the women's suffragist, essentially the head of the women's rights movement, one of the big figureheads, as well as the main man, Frederick Douglass, and she met them during her speaking tour around the nation. And I will tell you this, this man, Frederick Douglass, okay, he knew how to network. I'll tell you that. This man is in like every story I tell. He literally knows everyone in history. That's not even exaggeration. That's incredible. This man knew the value of networking, okay? Crazy. After her speaking tour, Clara traveled overseas to Europe to remedy her own health ailments at the time, mainly related to exhaustion. Which, of course, is to be expected, as it's often overlooked the toll on the helpers and the ones who provide the relief. They carry the burdens of what they've seen, and this can sometimes be too heavy to bear. So, you know, everybody needs a break sometimes. While in Europe, Clara was introduced to the efforts of the incredible organization called the Red Cross. The Red Cross was a relief organization that focused its efforts on helping others during public emergencies, a cause that was near and dear to Clara's heart. The head of the Red Cross reached out to Clara personally meeting her and personally requesting if she would lead the formation of an American branch of the Red Cross. Claire's reputation had carried across the pond. So they were very happy to ask her to lead the American branch. 
Without hesitation, Claire accepted the position. And in 1873, Claire would return to the U.S. to begin the arduous task of lobbying her government for the creation of the American Red Cross. This was no small feat as the government was skeptical at the time of needing an organization as described by Clara, which was believed to only focus on providing war relief. So it took a number of years and convincing. Clara presented the organization in a way that they would provide relief to all Americans during any crises, including wars and natural disasters. So from this perspective, it was much more favorable and Clara was successful in her endeavor and the American Red Cross would have its first official meeting at Clara's apartment on May 21st, 1881. So that's about eight years after she had arrived back in the U.S. to begin lobbying. So it took that long. With this inception, um, the American Red Cross had agency and was often busy in helping to provide aid and humanitarian relief to Americans during a number of wars and disasters, such as floods and the Spanish and American War, just to give you an example. In her later years, Clara would spend her time traveling back and forth between the U.S. and Europe, providing aid and relief where it was needed. So she didn't just stay in the U.S. providing help. She also flew to Europe and would help them during their wars. Clara would acquire her home in Glen Echo, Maryland in 1897, which she promptly converted into the American Red Cross headquarters. And this home is massive, you guys. Like, Plus, Clara, like I said in the beginning, she had it designed specifically for things like storing supplies, hosting guests in need, providing an office administrative space for the Red Cross, and so much more. Clara served as the president of the American Red Cross all the way until she was 83. After resigning, and she didn't stop there. Hold up. Okay, we're still going. (laughs) After resigning, she would go on to establish the National First Aid Society which focused its efforts on specifically promoting local AIDS programs. Clara would continue her work as a humanitarian all the way until her death. Clara Barton passed away on April 12, 1912, in her home in Glen Echo, Maryland. She was 90 years old. I could seriously go on and on with this woman. There are so many other things that I wanted to talk about When I tell you these stories, I try to distill them down to the foundational concepts and the sort of pillar characteristics in this person that I want to highlight for you guys. So, But it truly struck me when learning about how big this woman's heart was, especially when I toured her home and and learned a little bit more about her history. I just couldn't, as somebody who views your home, I view my home as my sanctuary. I don't view it as a sanctuary for others. And I could just tell that Clara had built her home as a sanctuary for others. That was her idea of a home. That's where her heart was, a place where other people could come for help. I mean, does it get more pure than that? I I don't think so. I strive to remember that my time here spent on earth It's going to count. I work to make the world a better place. And it's so wonderful to be in such company as the likes of Clara Barton. And you guys know I had to end it on a righteously awesome quote from this woman. And I really 
love this quote because it confirms my suspicions of Clara. And I think you'll know what I'm talking about when you hear it. So here it goes. I have an almost complete disregard of precedent and a faith in the possibility of something better. It irritates me to be told how things have always been done. I defy the tyranny of precedent. I go for anything new that might improve the past. So you can check us out at madeofmetalpodcast.com. You can also follow us on Instagram or Facebook. And that's Made of Metal, M-E-T-T-L-E. Thank you so very much for listening, you guys. I feel like every week I'm just in awe of the support. I'm in awe of my listeners. I just can't thank you enough. I love each and every one of you. Seriously. Thank you for listening to this bubbly baritone. I really appreciate it. I know I sound like Darth Vader and I really appreciate you listening. I just can't state that enough. And this month is is just going to be really exciting for me. I love featuring female stories. So, oh gosh, you guys already know what I'm going to say. I love you. Have a wonderful, wonderful day. And please do not forget to bloom where you are planted. (laughs) 